Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas, and you're listening to the Life Over Coffee podcast. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. This is episode 188. The title of the episode is The Vital Importance of the Counseling Window. Do you know what the counseling window is? I may have coined that expression. I haven't really heard it anywhere else, though once I explain it to you, you have heard the concept or you're familiar with the concept. In fact, it should be intuitive to you. But the counseling window is a season of time that you have with an individual to counsel or disciple them. Because counseling is not unlimited sessions with a person that goes on until Jesus comes back. No counseling has a definitive start time and a definitive end time, and that is the counseling window. And I want to talk about what needs to happen inside that window and what shouldn't happen inside that window. And that's why I say the vital importance, the title of the episode, of the counseling window. Now, I have show notes for our podcast, which I do for all of our Life Over Coffee podcast, and I have typically additional information in these show notes, and so you can go to episode 188, The Vital Importance of the Counseling Window, on our website, rickthomas.net, N-E-T, and you can get more information if you want, if you want to take the time to study this out a little more. I will share with you everything that I have in the show notes, except I do have a couple of videos, and I would encourage you to watch them because they will help you. One is a 90-second video, and the other one is about a 10-minute video, and they walk through this idea of some of the problems within the counseling window, and you do want to familiarize yourself with this. This is some of the teaching that I do in our Mastermind Training Program our all-online counseling program that you can take to learn to become a, well, you can become a discipler according to your skill set. I will not say that you will become an expert discipler or even a formalized biblical counselor because I don't know you and I have no clue as to the gifting that God has given you. But whatever the size of glass you are, the cup that you are, we will try to cooperate with the Lord and cooperate with you to fill it up to your fullest potential. And that's what our program does. Everybody comes out the other end differently. Everybody does not come out as a what you might call a formalized professional counselor because that may not be your gift mix. That may not be how God has made you, and that's fine. Uh, we don't have that aim with anybody that comes into our program. Our aim, as I said, is to cooperate with the Lord, to cooperate with you, to help you to be the best discipler that you can possibly be. So if you're interested in that, you're welcome to check out our Mastermind program information on our website. There's a lot of information there. And it will answer virtually every question that you have. If you have more, you can contact us and say that I have watched all the videos on that page. I have listened to all the podcasts on that page, and I've read every word. And I have a couple more questions. Could you answer them? And we would love to do that 
for you. But this is part of the teaching, and I want to give you a flavor of it. So let me get into it. Episode 188, The Vital Importance of the Counseling Window. Biblical counseling is formulaic in many people's minds. And what I mean by that is that they have this conventional thought that if you can get a person to the counselor, the counselee will change and I have felt this from many people uh, that I've counseled uh, in my life. And most of the time, and this is not a slight on mothers at all, but most of the time, uh, the people who will put more pressure on you to change a person or to change a child, for example, uh, will be moms. Dads seem to be just the opposite. I know there's always exceptions to this, but historically speaking, moms will overcare and dads will undercare. It would be nice if they both met in the middle and cared appropriately, uh, but many times it's the mom who is calling and asking, can you uh, get my child into counseling? And and some of these moms will they will do this in an unwitting way. It's not intentional per se, but they just care so much. And if you're not careful as a discipler or a counselor, small group leader, pastor, whatever discipleship role that you have, you can receive that pressure. You can feel it and it can speed you up. It can intensify you to where you will not be thinking clearly when you are discipling the individual because you'll have two people in, in your mind. One will be that mom that's really putting all the money on you to change this person. And then, of course, the other person will be the person that you are counseling, and it can intensify you. And you need to be at rest. You need to be clear-headed. You need to understand what your role is. You need to understand what this season is, or what I call here the counseling window, because just getting them into counseling, it's not a formulaic process, meaning if you can just see the counselor, you're, you're going to change. And the reason that this is not necessarily accurate, I would say, statistically speaking, most of the time it's not accurate. Let me give you an illustration of that. Suppose that my mother brought me to counseling when I was 15 years old. I'm sitting in a counselor's office. Now, I can look in the rearview mirror now because I'm much older than 15, and I know how this is going to play out. And so she puts me in the counselor's office, and in a sense, she did that. She did do that. She put, she put me in a, a probation officer's office, uh, which I had to see. I, I had to see my probation officer for a season uh, because of the crime that I had committed as a 15-year-old. Uh, but I didn't change. I didn't change, and I don't remember how long I met with that man. If it was one year or two years, it may have been two years. I don't remember. But whatever that counseling window was, a meeting with my probation officer, it, it didn't, I did not transform because transformation doesn't happen that way. And so here's how it happened. I transformed. My transformation came 10 years later. My transformation came when I was 25, when God pierced the darkness and hardness of my rebellious and defiant heart and my futile thinking, and he regenerated me as a 25-year-old. It wouldn't have mattered how many counselors I, I could have seen when I was 15. I didn't change for 10 years. And so it, it is important that you understand that. 
This formulaic thinking that if I can get a person to the council law, a change is going to happen is not necessarily accurate because transformation depends on several things happening while the counselee is inside the counseling window. And if those things don't happen, it does not matter what you do. That person is not going to change. And so as I said, the counseling window It has a definitive start time, and it has a definitive ending time. Now, some people speculate about how long counseling should be. I don't think you should do that. We should be pneumatic when it comes to how long we counsel with a person because each individual is different. Some people you can counsel and you can be one and done. And then other people you can counsel three times, six times, 12 times. You may have an ongoing counseling relationship with someone for a couple of years. I have had several people that I have counseled in an ongoing way for at least two years. And so I don't put a definitive you should do this many sessions with an individual. That is way too structured. That is way too formulaic, and it's not pneumatic. Uh, You're not sensing the Spirit of God. Remember, we're Trinitarians. We believe in Father, Son, and Spirit, and the Spirit of God may be doing something else in your life as you're interacting with this person in that individual's life, and and you believe you're in faith that you want to meet with this person longer than your normal times. And so that's really up to you in these factors that I have mentioned. But regardless, counseling does have a start time and end time. There is a season that a person is receiving counseling, however long that season may be, and then it's over. Now the hope is, is that while the person is going through the counseling season, or the counseling window, that he or she will change. But this perspective is the tension that I'm bringing to you because being a counselor or being a discipler doesn't guarantee change. Now, when I use the word counselor, to me, in my mind, it's a synonym for discipler. And honestly, preferentially, I prefer the word disciple because it is the predominant Bible idea. It is the predominant biblical word. It also is the most universal word that it just people intuitively know that it applies to every Christian. Most Christians, if you ask if they were disciplers, whether they, regardless of how they graded themselves on discipleship, they would have to say, yes, I am a discipler. But if you ask most Christians, are you a counselor? Most of them, I think, would disqualify themselves and say no. And that's, that's the biggest reason that I don't care for the word counselor, because the Bible doesn't make that much of it. But the word discipler, not only does the Bible make a lot of it, the New Testament that is, but Christians intuitively know that that's their role. And so when I use the word counselor, it is a synonym for discipler, meaning that if you are a Christian, you need to know that anytime that you're discipling someone, it does not mean or it doesn't guarantee that that person is going to change. I want to share with you a couple of texts that uh, point to this idea. The primary one is 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. Here it is. 
uh, Paul said to Timothy, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. This is a vital verse, a crucial verse in this understanding of how transformation happens. Paul is very clear here that God is the one that grants repentance. Transformation is a gift granted by God. Some people will ask, do you believe, Rick, do you believe in the gifts of the Spirit? I do. The gifts of the Spirit, here's one of them right here. Uh, the Spirit of God penetrates your heart and brings transformation. The greatest gift of the Spirit for us is regeneration. Without that gift, really everything is meaningless. If God doesn't grant repentance, if the Spirit doesn't come and quicken your heart, well, then really nothing else matters. And so transformation is a gift granted by God. Now, whether that change means that God saves someone, which is the gift that he gave to me at 25 years old, that was my initial transformation. I was birthed into the family of God. Boom. But of course, I, I was not perfected at salvation and so whether that transformation is talking about salvation or if we're talking about God granting repentance during a person's progressive sanctification, meaning that the Christian life, as Luther said, is repentance and ongoing repenting. I repented in 1984 when I was 25 years old and God regenerated me and I have been repenting ever since as it pertains to my sanctification. But each time that, that God brings change uh, into my life, repentance, transformation, that is God gifting me with this. And we have to say that it is a gift. None of us can stand and pound our chest and say, I did this on my own. A counselor can't say that or shouldn't, and a counselee should never say that. Paul said, here's another verse, uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? God not only grants repentance, as Paul told Timothy in, in the book of Timothy, uh, but God, uh, Paul was telling us here in Corinthians that everything that we receive is a gift, and so none of us can boast as though uh, it were not a gift. And so there are two vital things that must happen for a person to change. The first is the primary cause, and the second is the secondary cause. The primary cause is God must grant repentance. The secondary cause is that the individual must respond to the work that the Lord is doing in his life at that moment. The counselor in this scenario is merely a voice that shares the truths of God's word, but the counselor or the discipler is not the agent of change. No discipler has that kind of power. No discipler has that kind of authority over anybody's life. 
And no matter how much pressure someone is putting on you or how much pressure you are putting on yourself that they are not putting it on you at all, but you are doing this, is self-induced pressure because for whatever reason, maybe it's fear of man. Maybe, maybe you think you're a failure if this person doesn't change because uh, they're meeting with you. And if they don't change, then it looks bad on you. Whatever, however that pressure comes, you need to be at rest. You need to understand your role in the counseling process. And your role, as I said, is merely the voice that shares the truths of God's Word. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. This verse ties to the other two that I mentioned to you. 2 Timothy 2, God grants repentance. He gives the growth. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, that why do you boast if you did not receive it? What do you have that you did not receive? Paul understood his role as a discipler. He was a planter. Apollos was a waterer. And he knew that God gave the growth. When I teach this verse to our students, or anyone else that will listen to me, I ask them to take this sentence and make two sentences out of it. And so you say, I planted, Apollos watered, and put a period there. Put a period there and go no farther. And then the second sentence, but God gave the growth. The reason I say to replace the comma uh, with a period is so that you come to a full stop and realize that, that that is your responsibility and that's where your responsibility ends. And so you could read this one sentence as two sentences. I planted, Apollos watered, stop, go no farther. And then the next sentence, but God gave the growth. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. There are four components to every counseling session. And this is what you need to understand. Those four components are, number one, the Spirit of God. He is the Counselor with a capital C. He is the Discipler with a capital D. He is the only one who can penetrate a person's heart to bring change. He sees in the darkness, discerns the thoughts and intentions of a person's heart, shines his light, illuminates, brings conviction, points out hidden idolatries that you may or may not ever see or know about that individual. The Spirit of God is the surgeon. He is the one that does this secret, hidden work inside a person's heart. A second component is the Word of God. This is the primary tool that the counselor uses to provide practical instruction so the person can learn what right living is. And then the third component, as you might imagine, is the disciple or, or the counselor, the messenger of God who faithfully practicalizes God's Word in such a way that the person understands and can change. And so you're sitting in the coffee shop, you have the Word of God open, or maybe you don't have it open. That's not magic either. You, you never have to open the, the Word of God necessarily, but you share God's truths, you practicalize God's truths, and as you do that, the Spirit of God does that penetrative work. But you are the messenger of God. You are watering and planting. And then the fourth component is the counselee, the person who needs to change. And that will happen as he cooperates, secondary cause, with the Lord, primary cause 
about what God is doing in the counselee's heart. So those are the four components of every counseling session. The Spirit of God, the Word of God, the discipler, and the disciplee, the person who is receiving God's truth from the discipler. And it is important as a discipler that you understand your role. Don't make it less than what it is, but our... If you're a discipler, you'll probably err on, on the side of over, over-steering the car, over-trying, over-caring, over-worrying, or over-penalizing yourself as you judge yourself because you didn't do it right, say it right, as you began to play the tape in your mind and, and realize you could have said, did this or that different. You want to be careful about that. Here's a sobering fact that, that we all need to understand. Most counseling seasons, this counseling window, do not end with long-term effectual change. The majority of all counseling sessions are watering and planting opportunities which may position the counselee for future change. I've had so many people write long time after the counseling was over to say, I remember one lady wrote on Facebook a few years ago, and she said that, Rick, thank you for counseling me and my husband. We got a divorce, and I know you counseled us for a long time, and I know it had to be frustrating, and it appeared that we weren't listening, but I was listening. We weren't responding and doing the things that you asked us to do. But I just want to say thank you for faithfully ministering God's Word. Even though we were not applying it to our lives, I am doing that now, sadly, after our marriage dissolved. That's not an unusual testimony. It's not that everybody gets divorced per se, but when the change happens, it can be long after the counseling window is closed, and it is important that you understand that. This is episode 188, The Vital Importance of the Counseling Window. Now, I want to share with you seven things to remember based on all that I've shared with you thus far. Number one, don't put your hope in counseling but in God, the only one who can bring change to any of us. Our hope has to be in God. If you put hope in getting the person to a counseling session, you have misplaced hope. And by the way, you could say it another way, you have misplaced faith. If your faith is in getting the person to the counseling session rather than faith in God, here's what's going to happen. If that person doesn't change according to your expectation, your faith is going to take you down because your faith is in the counseling session. Faith is always in an object. And if your faith is in the object of the counseling session rather than in God, and if that counseling session does not turn out according to your preferences, then you're going to have a hard time. But if your faith is in God and that counseling session does not turn out according to your preferences, then you're going to be okay. Uh, You'll be able to right yourself quickly because your faith was not in the outcome of that counseling session, but in God himself. 
many married couples in a similar boat. Their faith is in their spouse being such and such, whatever that may be. Their, their faith is in their marriage being in such a way, but rather than their faith being in God. Therefore, when their marriage begins to tank or when their spouse begins to not meet their preferences, well, they dip too because their faith is misplaced. So thing one to remember, don't put your hope in counseling, but in God, the only one who can bring change for any of us. And if he doesn't bring change, your faith is in the right place, and ultimately you will be okay. Number two, don't misjudge any counseling session as being inadequate because you did not get the outcome you hoped for. Remember the water, watering and planting thing? That is the outcome. That, that is the guaranteed outcome that you will get from a biblical discipleship season between two individuals. That is guaranteed. And you can never say that that is inadequate. Whether you're a discipler or someone who has an interest in seeing the person change. So if you're the discipler, do not misjudge the counseling session as being inadequate. You know, that would be actually arrogant to think that way. Oh, well, it wasn't adequate, you know, because I didn't say this or say that or whatever. That is just so arrogant. How do you know the mysteries of God? Uh, as Jesus talked about the Spirit of God in John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wants to. You don't see where it comes, where it goes. So is the Spirit of God. How can you judge such things? Don't be so arrogant by judging a counseling session as being inadequate. Number three, don't misjudge any counseling session as being adequate because you felt good about it. Uh, so you don't want to go out. Both of, both of these points, number two and number three, thinking it was good or thinking it's bad is counselor-centered, and you don't want to do that. Number four, counseling success is not necessarily a person changing according to your expectations or timetable. Counseling success is faithfully sharing God's Word in practical ways. That is counseling success from the counselor's chair. Whatever happens from that point forward, well, that's, that's dependent on primary cause and secondary cause. The Spirit of God doing what the Spirit of God does and, and the counselee responding as a secondary cause. But counseling success for you is faithfully sharing God's Word in practical ways. Number five, a biblical counseling context is similar to all other relational contexts, whether a Christian is helping a person where a Christian is helping a person to change. Let me give you a few different change contexts that are equivalent to Christian counseling. And the reason I'm sharing these with you is because we don't want to think in such an exclusive way that this podcast is just for the counselor and counselee. You need to think this way in all uh, contexts, all relational contexts. For example, husband and wife, parents and children, siblings, helping siblings, friends, helping friends, small groups in local churches, pastors, helping congregants, congregants, helping pastors. If you, you need to apply everything that I'm sharing here to these contexts too. Like I was sharing earlier that, you know, if a wife has an expectation that the husband is going to be such and such and that husband is not changing according to her expectations, well, she has her faith in the wrong place. And so everything that I'm sharing here applies to every relational context. Number six, 
Though a biblical counseling context typically has a higher degree of formalization and giftedness from the counselor, it's not a given that change will happen only under the condition of so-called professional counseling. This is one of the big warnings that I've been giving throughout this podcast. Just because they're going to professional counseling, you want to guard your heart or you may be really disappointed. Number seven, if you are a Christian, you must be helping others change, whether the person is a believer or an unbeliever, because it is the commission that the Lord gave to us. And that's why I mentioned these other contexts already. Husband, wife, parents, children, siblings, friends, small groups, pastors, congregants, we all should be doing this. Now, let me wrap up this podcast by giving you some signs of an individual who doesn't understand the counseling window. There are several here, and I'll just roll through these, and you can get all these off the show notes as well. But signs of a person that doesn't understand the counseling window. The angry, frustrated, disappointed person They're disappointed because the individual is not changing. If you're angry, you're sinfully angry because someone's not changing, you don't understand what I've shared in this podcast. Two, demanding the person go to counseling because you believe that's how the person will change. That's manipulation. Now, maybe they should go to counseling, but you want to guard against thinking that this is going to be the thing that, that really changes the person. Number three, worrying if the person is not changing. Number four, critical if the person doesn't change. If you do any of these things, you don't understand the counseling window. Angry, demanding, worrying, critical. Number five, impatience toward the unchanging person. Number six, self-reliance as you lean to your own understanding and your own techniques to bring change to someone. Number seven, manipulation as you try to get a person to change. Number eight, reactive as you respond to the unchanging person or to the counselor who is doing the counseling. These are signs of a person that doesn't understand the counseling window. Episode 188, the vital importance of the counseling window. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.